Becoming a Christian and being a believer does not mean that A, you're going to get rich or have some wealthy financial life. B, things are going to be great. I think Christ makes that very clear that I've told you these things before they happen so that when they happen, you're not alarmed that you can stand strong in your faith. Three is this idea of just because you're a believer that you're going to always feel good. That's not, not going to happen. What it does mean is that your soul is secured with your creator. And that's the peace that you get. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome again to the podcast. This is actually episode 90 of the Audacious Faith podcast, and we have a very special treat today. I have a great guest. He's actually coming with us all the way from Hawaii, and but the great thing about Zoom is we can just kind of connect right here, and, and I look forward to you hearing from him. He's a singer. He's a songwriter. He's a speaker. He's also a businessman. Um, lots to offer, and he also is a family man and a person of faith, so I'm very happy to introduce and have David Parsons III with us today. David, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. Aloha. Hey, how are you guys doing? Thanks for having me. I'm very honored and I'm surrounded by good people. And it's it's nice to be able to share a little bit about my faith in the Lord and uh, kind of the process of becoming uh, where, where I'm at, where I am today. So I'm, I'm grateful for the opportunity. Thanks. And David right now has, has a really cool atmosphere. I mean, he's out there in the car by the beach right now watching the waves. So if you're <laughs> jealous where you're watching this, be jealous because he he's in a very good position. So that I'm, there it is. You look at that. Look at that view. <laughs> I'm just watching the surf line. So that uh, I decided this is my office this morning. So <laughs> that that works for me. In fact, I just cooled down like five degrees just looking at that. <laughs> good, good. good. So, so David, let's let's start off. I mean, some people that are watching may know you, but a lot of people don't. So. Maybe tell us a little bit about yourself, your upbringing, family, and and also how you came to faith. Sure, absolutely. Um, well, I, I'm the oldest of four boys, and uh, I grew up in the Bay Area and Silicon Valley area. I'm actually from Fremont, uh, which is where the Tesla factory is. Uh, it's about two minutes from where I was actually uh, raised and grew up. And... Um, Parents are both elementary school teachers and um, very, very humble beginnings, very, uh, very amazing, selfless uh, parents. Had a really rough upbringing. I have a family member, immediate family member, one of my brothers that uh, grew up with uh, bipolar disorder, which I think is a huge part of my faith walk and uh learning to trust Christ through uh, when the crap hits the fan and anybody that's dealt with a mental illness of that caliber knows that it's a, a daily walk. It's not, it's often an hourly walk. And um, there's just times in my life where there's just been no sugarcoating and those have been very prolonged um, growing up. So Definitely came from a from a hard knocks beginning. Um, like I said, my dad was an elementary school teacher, taught third grade. So I think I have a real teacher's heart um, that's been instilled in me over the years with um, both of that. My mom was a stay-at-home mom for the first, uh, I think, what, 15 years of my life. And 
and did that for my brothers as well until uh, I started going into college and then she went back full-time um, to become a substitute teacher and started in elementary school and then actually worked her way all the way up into, uh, into high school. But it was great being, being the, uh, the sons of school teachers because during the uh, summer years, we had the three months off. And so we actually were campground hosts up in the Sierra Nevadas and uh, spent June, right at the beginning of the June, June, all the way till September, early September, up in the mountains, living in a tent and um, making a trip once every three weeks into town to get supplies. And we lived on the river and uh, managed a little, managed and co-managed a little, I think it was 25 unit little RV loop that was up in the Sierra Nevadas. And man, growing up and being immersed in nature, that was my dad's. We were never, we never went anywhere. Like I, I didn't go to Mexico or Europe or Canada as a kid, all my friends gone, but we always had this consistency of the first 18 years of my life, actually 23 years of my life. Cause I, I did that even after I went to college was the oasis of four, three to four months of our lives that were spent on the river and experiencing God in, in that environment where you have this season of complete peace where you don't know what day it is, where you're not looking at your cell phone, where our only rules growing up, my brothers and I were be home for dinner at 5 PM, be at the table sitting down. And other than that, don't do anything stupid. And if you do, you're in charge of driving your own brothers to the ER that was two hours from, from the campground. And so I think that was a big, huge piece of my life that I rem reminisce on all the time, which ironically, two years ago, um, our entire campground got burned down, every tree gone. And interesting, interesting how those seasons of our lives will come and go and they change dramatically, unexpectedly. Um, from there, I uh, so I played baseball. That was kind of my identity growing up. My dad traveled with me and was at every single game and did the same thing for my brothers. And uh, I had originally wanted to go and play for um, a D1 school and uh, tried out for a bunch of D1 schools and didn't make any of them. Then decided I wanted to go to Biola University and went and tried out there. And the coach told me, don't come here if you want to play because you're not going to play. And so I had zero idea of where I was going to go and what I was going to do. Um, and I ended up uh, going to Zoo Pacific and walk, ended up walking on to the team there. And then we went to the World Series the year after I, I walked on. And uh, I tried out. I was There were 72 guys that tried out. I was the only guy that made the team, the only guy that didn't. I didn't redshirt, so I actually played. But it was just an incredible experience. I was a total bench warmer. Uh, I think I pl played a total of two, two, two minutes in, in two years worth of being on the team. Yeah. But learned a ton about um, just discipline and sacrifice and uh, showing up every day and trusting the process. And uh, my college years, I went through, I think, a prolonged depression from the stuff that I witnessed as a kid um, and was really difficult. My junior year of college and, I, you know, I just like to be transparent with this stuff, but I... I 
I actually almost committed suicide my junior year of college. And um, I still have the ER note from when I went to the ER and, and I was actually at the train stop that was in, in your guys's area in uh, Covina. Mm -hmm. And I, I had my suicide note in hand and um, I just prayed, you know, God, if you can hear me, uh, I really need help right now. And there was a song I was listening to Pandora and this song came on randomly by um, jars of clay and it's no one loves me like you. And it gave me just enough, um, just enough courage in that moment to call my resident advisor at my school that was in my dorm room, Corey Ingstrom. And I just said, Hey man, you got, you got eight minutes before this train gets here. I need your help. I can't explain everything going on, but I need you to take me to the ER. I'm a danger to myself right now. And, um, and he showed up, he showed up like, it was like a minute before the train crossing what was happening. Cause I had it all timed out mm -hmm. and he took me to the Baldwin park ER. And that was the beginning of my healing process. And really, I think coming to faith, um, and understanding that life with Christ is, is it's not about, it's not this Sunday school, you know, felt, felt bored what would jesus do thing like those have their time in their place but the amazing thing about christ is that he meets us in a place of absolute pain and desperation and and he's walked the path mm -hmm. he's done it himself and he chose to like he chose to take the cross on like if you stop and you really think about like if you try to re like if you try to put yourself in the place of what Christ did on the cross and walk that path, I think that's where Christ met me is like in that moment of I'm done. I can't do this anymore. I don't want to be alive because it hurts so much with all this crap that I've dealt with and all this evil that I've dealt with, not myself, but like there's just bad things that happen. And part of that is you know, mental illness, like it just exists and there's no way around it. You can't, not for me, again, it was my, it was one of my brothers, but there's consequences of that. And, and it was a really difficult place to, to grow up in. And, and so, so those were my college years and it took me about three years. I, I, um, started reading the Bible about two or three hours a day. And I spent about an hour and a half in prayer at, mm -hmm. at a little, chapel and and i just uh immersed myself in the word and i grew up going to church and stuff but i don't think i i don't think i really understood the power of the word until i started like breathing it and and sleeping with it and thinking about it and dwelling on it and and praying that god would open my eyes to the holy spirit of what passages meant and what that meant for me on a daily basis i think a lot of people myself include included have a knowledge of god and a knowledge that god exists and a knowledge that he wants to be a part of our lives but i think even more so he wants an intimate daily walk with us just like you walk with your wife like an intimate daily step-by-step -step plugged in 
with him. And I'm not the best at it. I mean, I certainly have had my seasons, but those were, those were my um, kind of my college years summed up. Mm-hmm. I stopped playing baseball my junior year because I got an opportunity to uh, in business that, that just kind of popped out of nowhere. That was a, I mean, all these, all these stories have hundred percent the hand of, I feel like the hand of God on them. But uh, while I was sitting the bench at Azusa Pacific, even though I was, you know, a part of the team, I wasn't one of my jobs off the field was to uh, put on these little clinics and these camps for this community. And I met a gentleman, um, his name's Alan, and uh, he had asked me if I could uh, give his son baseball lessons once a week outside of, and I met him through one of these camps that I put on through the school. And I said, sure, I'd love to. And uh, long story short, I found out after I stopped playing baseball, Alan called me up. The dad called me up and said, hey, um, I heard you stopped playing. I, I I would really like to offer you an opportunity as an intern at my at my business. And I said, sure, I have no idea what I'm doing. I studied military history in school my first two years and then switched over to business and marketing. And I didn't really have a path because my path since I was a kid was to be a professional baseball player, which was not going to happen at that point. <laughs> um, so I said, sure. And uh, next week, Alan and I are sitting down at a little Greek few, a little Greek shop. Uh, and uh, he's telling me that he's the CEO of, a, of one of the top uh, celebrity website building companies in America and asked me if I would be interested in basically traveling with him and and I said, are you kidding me? Yeah, absolutely. So starting my junior year of school, I managed 56 of the top NFL websites. Um, we built them. And then I, it was a very small team. I think there was five of us. Mm-hmm. And um, he outsourced, he was one of the early kind of pioneers of outsourcing things through a platform that he had, had built. And um, so domestically in California, there was only, I think, three or four of us. Um, and then our design team was one designer. And so for the next uh, two years, uh, that's what I did. I traveled with them to games and worked with the agents. And I, I was in charge. I, I became the dir- director of client services for six-man communications. It doesn't exist anymore. Um, he moved out of the, the sports world, but um, went to two Super Bowls and uh, wrote pieces for magazines. And uh, and then when that got shut down, uh I ended up uh, managing one of the top uh, athletes out of Azusa Pacific. That was the decathlon. He was a two-time gold medalist out of um, for the Beijing Games. He was the decathlon gold medalist, and then in Athens, he was the silver silver medalist. And so I started his nonprofit foundation and built his uh, built his uh, website, and uh, that was up until about twenty four, twenty five. And I think the other big part of my growing up story. During that season of my life was I met a, a gentleman that um, was a World War II combat officer and uh, fought under General Patton, and he became my life mentor. And um, he was the one I, right as he was coming to the end of his life, he encouraged me to do something that was outside of my comfort zone and to really go find what I wanted to do with my life. And he was a believer too. And, and uh, he said, you know, one day, David, you're going to be sitting here like I am, 
uh, in the clothes that you're waiting to die in, in the bed that you've been sitting in for the last two, two and a half months waiting to die. And, and you're going to ask yourself, did I do everything I possibly could uh, with what God gave me to live this life to the fullest according to his standard? And uh, at the time, I was working 100, literally 80 to 100 hour weeks. I was traveling all over the U.S. I was burnt out. I was 24. You know, I, I had had some success definitely with my marketing agency, but I, I wasn't in my heart. I knew that there was something more that I wanted to do, and I had no idea what that was. And uh, he passed away July 11th and of 2013 and on july 27th i bought a one-way ticket to Kauai with absolutely no plan i sold my business and put my brother one of my brothers through college because that was kind of the deal is my my mom was going to go back to school to put me through school and then i was going to put my brother through school and, and so that's what i did and helped him graduate and uh and then i moved to Kauai with no plan and that's when i learned i could sing and and have had some success with with singing and i don't know <laughs> it's been pretty pretty wild but that's a long long summer summer summarization of, of i think how i got to where i'm at today so what i find so amazing and i really appreciate you sharing some you know a lot of details there that 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 I'm sure are valuable to people because I think that sometimes people get under the impression, you know, growing up in church, person in faith, all that, you're not going to have those kind of issues. And and I think that um, often people, when they feel that darkness that you described, um, feel as if they're the only one going through that. Like there's something, you know, there's possibly somebody listening right now who's going through something just like that. You, you saw how, I'm hearing in your story how, I mean, you go to Biola, that was your intention. And it's funny that the coach told you that. I think they all say that over there because my daughter went to play basketball there and they <laughs> told her the same thing. It was like it's word for word. You're not going to play here. Um, and then she went, she went to APU and the coach there said, well, you're pretty good, but quite honestly, you play the same position as my daughter, and she's ahead of you, so you probably wouldn't play either. So, so she didn't, have, and you didn't play much, but God had you there, and just the right person that was able to get there just in time, which was kind of amazing. So, you're putting all this together, all these experiences. You're talking about the, you know, what you did as um, kind of coaching the guy's son, and and all of that. And so do you notice that God was really just kind of like overseeing this all along, right? I mean, oh, I mean, I, I think a hundred percent, I think even during the seasons of my life where I would have said that those were, I had a, I had a great last two years in my high school. And, um, you know, I think that when you work really hard toward things, I think there's a, there's an element of the hard work, but then, I think there's absolutely these divine appointments that you have that, you know, my mentor, the combat veteran, his name was Angel, and he constantly drilled over the six years that he was in my life. He constantly drilled into my head the importance of having a heart of gratitude and recognizing these divine appointments. Mm -hmm. And he, he would always say, you know, the older I get, the more I look back and see how God's hand was absolutely 
pushing me in different directions and creating these opportunities. And, you know, I think a lot of people will, will say that those are coincidences. Okay, you can call them whatever you want to call them. But I think what's important is recognizing that there is a, uh, there's this fabric of these threads that are outside of our control that get weaved together that point us in different directions. And um, they don't always turn out good. I think that's important too. You know, Job said that, Job said, uh, is it not okay that we only accept good things from the Lord? And uh, paraphrased, obviously, you can probably correct me on what the exact terminology is and where it's found in Job. But I think that's important is, is recognizing that being a Christian absolutely does not mean that everything is going to be good. Becoming a Christian and being a believer does not mean that, A, you're going to get rich or have some wealthy financial life. B, that things are going to be great. You know, I think Christ makes that very clear that I've told you these things before they happen so that when they happen, you're not alarmed, that you can stand strong in your faith. And I, I think three is this idea of just because you're a believer that, um, you're going to always feel good. That's not, it's not going to happen. What it does mean is that your soul is secured mm -hmm. with your creator. And that's the peace that you get is knowing no matter how this life ends, whether it's abruptly or safely in your sleep, like my buddy angel, like that, you know, your creator and you're at peace with your creator through the sacrifice that Christ made period. And it's that piece that you carry yourself and your countenance into every situation. It's, it's the fruits of the spirit. Those who love the Lord and know the Lord, peace, joy, patience, kindness, self-control, no matter what the situation, do we make mistakes? Absolutely. Um, but yeah, that's uh, kind of, I guess, I think that's such a common misunderstanding is like you said, people that grow up in the church. And, you know, I think I should, I should mention too, that when our family was going through this stuff, bipolar disorder had just become, uh, I think it was the CDC or, or department, federal department of health had just identified it as, as here's the characteristics of, of this um, mental health thing it's very new and i remember my dad inside my parents room my dad having conversations with my mom after bible studies where my dad tried to open up about the the hell and and chaos that was happening inside of our house with my brother's irrationality i mean it was we had the police over once once a week it was crazy, man. I don't want to get into like reliving what it was, but I remember my dad tried to confide in our Bible study and he constantly got the same things. Like you need to discipline your son more. You need to turn to God more. And it's like, my dad is an absolute man of faith. Mm -hmm. And so I think that dealing with these really dark things and these really hard and, and acknowledging them and saying they they actually happen and, and 
coming together in these really difficult things and talking about them and being vulnerable about them as a church and as a body, that's what's going to pe- bring people into real faith. It's it's not just showing up on a Sunday and putting a smile on. It's being honest with each other, you know, yeah. because those are the times, that's what people really need. That's why people are walking away from church so much. And I feel like in this season, you know, is because they can't relate because it's all putting on a show. Mm-hmm. So I agree with you 100%. Now, would you say that, I mean, getting to that moment, getting to that brink, I mean, now I'm pretty sure you would agree that it, it enables you to be able to, I mean, maybe it's already happened. Maybe it's going to happen. It enables you to be there for somebody and understand somebody who then is in that type of situation, whether it's that I, identical circumstances or something similar to realize that, wait a minute, it's not always so cut and dry. It's not just, you know, do this and everything's good. Um, sometimes there's just pain. There's just difficulty. And it's a hard, long process of just really having to rely on God. Yeah. I mean, look, I'll be, I'll be honest. Like that was a season of my life. I do not wish upon anybody. <laughs> I don't have very many enemies, but I wouldn't ever want somebody to go through the, the mental trauma. That's what, that's what I experienced growing up. The, the trauma that led to a point of me sitting at a train station. Mm-hmm. And I can say now, uh, 15 years past that point in my life, um, I've never felt that way. I truly believe when you get to a certain point of depression that it is simply a chemical imbalance in your head that needs to be restored through endorphins, through therapy, through even med- human medication at times. People can completely disagree with me, but looking back, like what that season of my life has has created in me is a profound sense of empathy for other people and also a very real skill for being able to 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 be around difficult people and to have the patience with difficult people um because that's what i grew up in with my you know with my family is it it was a difficult day every day almost every day I think our best seasons were when were when we were up camping because uh, there was a freedom and a liberty of not being confined to um, a small space as a family that uh, <laughs> you could breathe, you know, and there was an outlet. I should say that's what I'm trying to say. There was an outlet for it. So being able to relate to somebody and to a lot of people that deal with those things um, absolutely came from that season. Yes. And I think as a songwriter, you know, we talked about this a little bit before. I know Jay and I have talked about this is discovering music. And I wouldn't call myself the greatest guitarist by any means. But I definitely feel like the Holy Spirit has given me long seasons of very emotional times that now through song I have an outlet. And it's, I find it ironic that my parents named me David, because when you read the Psalms, 
mm-hmm. like David was a musician and, and he had that connection to music and, um, yeah, definitely. You know, what else is coming to my mind, which doesn't usually, but, um, since you just mentioned this in the old Testament, you have David who of course is dealing with Saul and Saul is like totally troubled, traumatized in his soul and David would play the, he would call on David to play the harp through music to calm him. Yeah. So that, that's uh, an interesting parallel here. So now that you, you know, the Lord has kind of shifted you a little bit. You still do business. You still do all those things, but he's given you this aspect of music, which you said was, was something more new for you. Something more recent um, kind of, what you went through, I, I would say that now God kind of probably puts some of that into your music as well, wouldn't you say? Uh, absolutely. I, I think that um, I think the story of redemption is centered. Uh, the story of redemption in my life is centered around, um, you know, you. I think you call the podcast "Audacious Faith," right? Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. What I was thinking when I was praying about this time with you guys is maybe you've experienced this in your own life, but I have a lot of people, I do a lot of speaking and I'm in the process of writing a couple books and of my kind of journey and, and also one that I originally started with my buddy, the angel, the combat veteran of all the things that he taught me, the life lessons that he taught me. But when I tell my story of how I came to Kauai and subsequently how I discovered music, a lot of times the reaction is, I can't believe you did that. I can't believe you sold everything. I can't believe that you purchased a one-way ticket and, and, and you ended up on Kauai, the most beautiful place. Like that was never on my radar. This was, I had never wanted to come to Kauai. I had never been here. I've been here two times with past client, but I've never lived here. I'd never been to Kauai on vacation. Like this was a total. And I guess what I'm trying to say is in my life, I never thought of it as this huge, drastic change. And I, I think the key to audacious faith is being so close to Christ that your courage to do things that people ordinarily would never do that doesn't come from you it comes from the spirit within you mm-hmm. that gives you that peace to move forward to do great things that you might not even think are great things and and a per, again back to kind of the the theme of david is one of the things that always makes me laugh is when i was 20 20 21 years old when I was working for the celebrity athletes, I remember this one time I was sitting in a, in a, in a uh, conference room with a top NFL player, his agent, his marketing was PR person. And then the, the PR person for the team, everybody in that room with the exception of the athlete himself was over the age of 50. I was 20 years old running this guy's nonprofit foundation, had put it all together, had filed for everything that needed to be filed. I was running his online business. And I remember the guy that was in charge of the Nike sponsorship with the client turned to me and he said, 
why are you in this room? And the athlete turned to the guy and said, he's in this room because his actions have qualified him to be in this room. And what I thought in my head was, it's not my actions that have qualified me. It's God that has qualified me to be in this role. And it's my obedience and stepping up and allowing him to work through me that has allowed me to be in this room. And I say that because, again, you look back at David. I love that story of when David was going to fight Goliath, right? And he had all these years of preparation as being a shepherd, but the world tried to call, qualify him because Saul brought him in the room and he says, here's my armor, right? And he puts his armor on David to go face Goliath. And David's like, I can't fight with this stuff on. Right. <laughs> like, you rely on what God has given me to be qualified to fight Goliath. And then he goes and he does it. And again, I think as I was pondering this time together, I think that's a really big point in my life. I've gotten the opportunity to do some crazy things. Those things have been a direct result of God's divine appointments in my life and me stepping into them with obedience, even when I felt a little scared or nervous. But I think the main thing is understanding that audacious faith is easy, not easy, is manageable and you're capable and you're able not on your own accord but because you have an intimate relationship with christ who gives you the peace the courage the strength the power to step in those incremental daily decisions that when you turn around you look at your life you go i mean a couple in my life i, I turn around and i look at go the first song I ever wrote and recorded became the theme song for the World Series in 2014 was the montage theme song. How is that possible? Right. I, I recorded that in a church in a church attic with crap microphones, and I had never used GarageBand before. Mm -hmm. Well, I never would have gotten there if I wouldn't have trusted the Lord to say, let's buy a one-way ticket to Kauai. I never would have gotten there if I would not have had the divine appointment with the guy that brought me into his home and said before I left, hey, if you ever come to Kauai, you have a house here. Well, hey, guess what? I just bought a one-way ticket. Mm -hmm. So I, I, think these, I think that's something that is important for me to, to, to get out is, you know, it's, it's and then being humble, man, you got to be humble. Because when you look back, I think God really, I think God really, through the power, power of the Holy Spirit, really wants to be the hero. And it's not about David Parsons III. It's not about Jay, you know, or whoever is a part of. It's about turning around and, and when those moments happen, being so blown away that all you can do is point back to the Lord. You know what? I'm glad that you love this song. I'm, I'm glad that you love this story that I told through this song. But honestly, like, the inspiration for this song, the pain that came through this song, it's all pointed back to the Lord. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, it's meaningless. It truly is. So, right. so in our little pre-discussion preparing for this, you mentioned that one of the stories that really hits home for you in the word is the young man with the five loaves and two fish. You know, he yep. kind of comes, everyone's, there's the big need there. 
the disciples are telling Jesus, hey, you know, send them home because they need to get something to eat. And basically he just, he looks and he just says, hey, what do you have? You know, and they, they thought it wasn't enough. I mean, a lot of people obviously think that what they have in their life is not enough. But with God, as you've already been mentioning, uh, it's more than enough. So what is that story? How does that tie in? Why, why does that mean so much to you? I think in 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 my business mentors, mentorships, and in my time at, at APU on the baseball team, not being a starter, I think there's this idea of trusting the process and and part of being a Christian, I think a big part of being a Christian that makes a big difference in your in your small sphere of influence is simply showing up. I think being successful for the kingdom of God starts with that. It's been it's been it's been something in my in my personal financial business world, it, it's like, show up. That's what that story is about for me. Show up and offer whatever little, whatever you think is little, like put it on the table. When I moved to the island, I had a guitar and I knew three chords, G, C, and D. That's all I knew. I had no idea I could sing, right? But what I did is I said, all right, Lord, you know, I find joy in this, making music. It puts a smile on my face. It's a therapeutic outlet for that season of depression in my life that had been healed and passed, but it was an outlet to still purge myself of that. And I remember sitting down in my room as the rain was falling down, the tropical rains that come in and go here on the islands. And I remember the rain hitting the skylight and just saying, you know what, Lord? Here's my two fish, right? Two fish, five loaves of bread. Here's my two fish. Here's my three three guitar chords that I know how to play. Yeah. Here's my ability to show up and and the marketing background that you've given me. Take it and do whatever you want with it and guide me to those places. Um I think that's what the, that story is for me. You know, is is God has given each one of us something to, for today. Today is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. I think there's something that God has given each one of us today that we start with. And then going back to what I was saying before, success in business, and I also believe success in the kingdom of the Lord, is about incrementally making small daily incremental changes to walk deeper into the faith or to be challenged just a, a, another step up. And then that's when you turn around 10 years from or five years or a year from then and you go, wow, God used me to do that. Wow, God used me to do that. Like, you know, there's that, I think it's a parable. You can correct me if I'm wrong, but there's a parable that talks about to whom much is given, much is expected in return, right? Or some, something along the lines of that. And I think that that's very true. I think that when God sees that we're obedient with one little thing, then he gives us a little bit more influence and a little bit more uh, life experience 
to touch a, a couple more people, mm-hmm. but you got to tune with that. You know, you got to be in tune with the Holy spirit to, to sense that and to hear that and to see those opportunities and then to step into them. So parable of faith to me is start today with what you have. And, and it might seem small to you, but let put that on the offering table and watch God amazing things with it. You, you were kind of saying about showing up every day. So I don't know, this question is going to be kind of a mixed bag. Are there, um, in the midst of that, still some crazy, maybe seemingly crazy sounding to other people, goals, dreams, something that God's put in your head? Or, or is it just kind of still just go along day by day? Or a combination <laughs> of both? Um, I, I think that uh, if I'm being very honest with myself and, and with you and with, with our viewers, um, I'm a very gung-ho guy very gung-ho like if i if i get my mind on something i'm 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 all in you know okay i will say the past year and a half to answer your question directly i've always had a vision of myself it's this reoccurring dream that i that i've had since i was probably a freshman in high school it happens maybe once every two years it's the same dream over and over again and it's me standing on a stage in a stadium with a bunch of people and i know it's me but i don't necessarily know what i'm saying but i i hear their voices in unison and growing up i always thought it was me being a speaker and now that i become a musician you know i can see that maybe that's the pathway for that okay i don't know what the message is that i'm giving i just have this reoccurring dream that's always the same um i my wife asked me before we got married, is your intention to become famous with music? Absolutely not. I've, I've never, I've never desired that. That's not something I, again, I didn't even go to school to learn music. I don't have any theory background. Um, I play one instrument uh, and I sing and that's it. And I don't have a desire for that. What I want to do is be faithful with what God has given me. Um, back to the being vulnerable part, that being said, we recently, I got a one-year-old now, and we're just found out that we're expecting a, a second. And man, does that change things. Um, and I think that that is, it's always been a desire of my heart. It's always been, I've always wanted to be a dad and I am so fulfilled, but I've seen the natural progression of my ability to build businesses and to invest time and other ideas uh has at least for the next three to four years realistically during the toddler stages i think has been um has drastically changed (laughs) but i go back to what i had said before i think what's important is showing up every day hey lord in what little time i do have show me where to invest in your kingdom show me how you want me to use this time and I think right now in this last year and a half, it's been what little time I do have. It's been get in the water and find me with the still heart surfing. Mm -hmm. And that's been different because a lot of times those every little extra minute I get, I'm, I'm in the studio recording a new song or I'm working on a, a business investment idea. And 
I just don't have the energy doing that waking up two, three times a night. So I know that there's seasons and the Lord might bring another season of great productivity um, or he might bring the right people around me that can be more productive than I can to take it to that vision. But I think what I'm interested in is just being faithful in the little things today and letting him direct those, those paths, you know? Well, I think that's a good attitude because often many people are always looking to that preferred future or to that, you know, future moment and are missing the day, you know, that's right in front of them. Uh, It's a mistake I made quite often in life and um, I've seen others make it as well. So some good, definitely some good advice to follow right there. Uh, So when you, when you are writing these songs, which you never expected to be doing, uh, what is going through your head? I mean, you've mentioned about the Holy Spirit here. Um, is he bringing like different individuals to your mind, maybe like an audience to your mind, possibly what they're going through? Are you trying to connect, convey a feeling there? Yeah, I think uh, that's so I, I have two kind of channels, right? Uh, Okay. The first channel is um, my, for lack of better terms, uh, secular secular music. So it's more the Jack Johnson, John Mayer, a little bit of Zach Brown. Um, it's storytelling, feel good for the most part, uh, mm-hmm. life experience. I think when I'm writing with that lens on, I'm really not thinking so much about my how my audience is going to react more than when I write. I usually, the people write different ways, right? When they're creating songs, some people write the core, the chords and the, and the composition of the, of the song first. And then they write the lyrics over that and they marry the two. Some people write the lyrics first and then they, and then they move forward and, and find a composition that, that matches the tonality and the melody of the, you know, of the, the lyrics and what the emotion is trying to convey. I generally am the f- write the first i'll find a, a a chord progression that's a that i really like and feel inspired by and it's i don't know where it comes from i feel like a lot of musicians and artists and authors say the same thing there's just this muse this spark of creativity that comes that allows me to put words and syllables that match that feeling of the song and when i'm doing that i'm really not thinking about the end listener i'm thinking about what sounds and feels good okay. intuition wise for me um <clears throat> once i've gotten a melody down that i like then i'll go back and rework the lyrics and think more about okay what is what is the end goal of this song and what is the emotion that i feel and how do i portray that emotion successfully from the beginning of song to the end of the song in a cohesive way that makes sense lyrically and that's felt musically. Um, and I would say maybe phase three of that writing a song process is when I start thinking about the end user, maybe that's wrong. Maybe that's right. That's just how I do it personally. Now on the flip side, I spent three years or two and a half years as a worship leader, not ever my intention. There was just a need there. And I really felt the Lord asking me to step up at that time of my life. Um, before I met my, my wife. And so as a, I, I was the lead worship guy for a very small church on the island um, for about two and a half, three years. And 
I started writing worship music. Um, and that was a com the complete opposite. That was coming from a heart of what do I feel like the Lord is leading me to lead the congregation or lead the family on a Sunday morning into and really being conscious of what the lyrics are and, and what, what we're trying to create. One, one personal thing I think on that note too, is I really don't like this, is my personal opinion. Um, I really don't like when worship music seeks to hype up spirituality. Mm -hmm. Um, just because I don't feel like the Lord needs anything to hype who he is. I think he's extremely real. I think it, I think he meets us right where we are. And I think that what I try to focus on when I'm writing for faith-based for Christ Christians, other believers, is I try to focus on being in a place where God is anointing the words that he's using me to sing. Because through anointing, then it's not of me, it's of him, right? And that's when it, there's real connection, there's real unhyped touching of people's hearts. And, and that's what I want, you know? I love, I remember being at a church sermon one time and this guy getting up, he was like in his 70s and he, he started singing this song. He was, he was off key pitchy and then he starts playing his trumpet mm. in the middle of this acapella song and i just remember all of a sudden being super touched by this song and the words of the song and and he was off key and he was the trumpet was like why are you playing trumpet and and it's like what is happening right now and that's what i want when i write for my brothers and sisters, I want the content of the words and the content of what Christ is trying to touch hearts with to be, to come through the music. You can have lights, you can have fog machines, you can have all that stuff. It doesn't matter. Like when you have an anointed song or anointed speak singer or an anointed speaker, they can have no flashy PowerPoint. They can have nothing, but the words penetrate. And, and so I hope that answers your question. I think really there's two different songwriting things. I definitely gain more purpose from writing for the body of Christ, but it is definitely more challenging to be in that mindset and to, um, to be there, you know, it's, it's a hard thing to do. So, and there's no money. There's really no money in it if you do it the right way. Right. <laughs> there's spiritual and eternal gain. Um, so finding I, the reason why I say that is finding the balance time wise is sure. is important too. That's hard to do as a singer. Sure. So. Well, just a little side note before I get to our our last question. Just a little fun question because um, you ended up in Kauai, which obviously. I, I, you know, I still have yet to go there. I, I've been told by multiple sources I need to go there. So that's yeah. something I, I definitely want to be doing. Um, but you've been in, in California. You've been there. You go to the mainland quite often. So so what, what's the, uh, 
Where, where's the better place to be, your opinion? I think the best place to be is, where, <laughs> this is going to be the church answer, but I think the best place to be is where God calls you to be, because that's where you're going to be most fulfilled. Right. Um, I, I think that God called me out of L.A. because the lifestyle that I was living there as a workaholic was unhealthy for me. And I think he needed to bring me into a place where I could hear my own thoughts to be of maximum impact for whatever small or large sphere of influence he wants to use me in, whether that's just for the community of the west side of Kauai or on a national scale. I don't know. I don't really care. So I think to answer your question, I think there's certainly things that I loved about L.A. I loved the think tank of creativity that was there that I was challenged by and surrounded by um, and intimidated by at times. I certainly missed the golden glow of the uh, California sunset hitting the the foothills along the Pasadena and San Dimas mountain range. Um, I missed the uh, dry summer and evening heat. Um, but this is paradise. And, you know, it's, it's like a conversation I have with my wife too. At times it's like the Island can get really small. It's gorgeous and stunning. And, and, you know, sitting here looking out at the ocean, I feel like I can stretch my arms out and breathe. I get that same feeling I get when I was living in the mountains as a kid. Um, but it can feel very small. And, and at times, especially with the weather, that was something that was very different. You know, in California, it rains three or four times a year. That's it, especially in Southern California. And moving here, the first three, four years that I was here, we had Category 5. Hur- I remember we had a time where there was two Category 5 hurricanes and a Category 4 hurricane uh, all stacked up against each other. And I was like, what on earth is happening? Driving yeah. through lightning storms and watching the uh, electricity bolts hit the ground. Like, I had never experienced anything like that in California. So, um Goods and bads. I mean, I certainly cannot, I cannot envision my life without being in the water like I am on a weekly basis. But I know that if the Lord calls me to live in the middle of Kansas, you know, I know that my heart is going to be full if that's where he's called me to. And that's where we'll go. Might be a little bit harder for my wife to want to (laughs) go. I guess that's the mindset that we both have had in our relationship. So awesome. Awesome. Well, last question. Uh, this has been very good, by the way, you've shared some great insights. I know it's going to be a blessing to many, um, but here we go. This one's kind of open. All right. Um, you're a person of faith. Obviously we've gone over that. There, there's maybe someone listening either in the very near future, or this could be down the line when they find this podcast somewhere. And maybe there's at this moment right now, as they're listening, still searching. Uh, they haven't, you know, found Jesus yet. They haven't found that peace that you've talked about uh, that passes all understanding. Um, you know, you, you've you've kind of experienced this to a degree all your life, but then you really found it became more real to you later. Why is life so much better with Him and Him really leading? than trying to go at it without him. Go 
Um, can I be honest with you? Sure. Uh, I feel like at times it's harder it's harder to be a Christian than it is not to be. Um, if I'm being honest, if I'm being very real, um, I think what I would say is. it's the peace of knowing that those divine appointments are going to happen in your life that bring you to a place again, that no matter where you're situationally are, you know where you're going at the end of your life. And you know that you have a God that truly cares about you. I mean, I think that I think I've reached a point in my life where I've, um, just come to expect that life for the most part is pretty difficult and can really suck at times. And it's, it's not always rainbows and butterflies, even living on an Island. Um, but what I will say is don't take anybody else's word for it. Christ makes it very clear that if we draw near to him, he will draw near to us. So what I would say to that person that doesn't, hasn't committed their life to Christ and that might be on the fence or that doesn't even believe, you can listen to testimony after testimony, but at the end of the day, in your quiet time, when you're laying in bed or when you're driving home, watching a sunset, just ask God, are you real? Are you there? You know, Jesus, did you really die on the cross? Did you really exist? Or are you some made-up, fictional, historic character? And what I will say is Christ will speak for himself. The Holy Spirit will talk to you in ways so personal, so intimate, so just tailored for you, that there will be no denying in your heart and in your soul that he exists exists that he died on a cross and that he truly wants to create a way for you to be with him for eternity. Um, and the better part of life is for me is that I have peace knowing no matter what comes my way, that that is, that, that is a done thing. It is done. And, uh, I think that's what I would say to, to the person that doesn't doesn't know him yet. It's going to be really, I feel like, especially in this day and age, it's, man, it's hard to be, it could be really hard to be a believer. You know, mm -hmm. I mean, even, like, I was a virgin all the way up into the point of meeting my wife and becoming uh, married with her. And that was a hard, stinking road, man. Mm-hmm to be an athlete and to be a business person. And I think being a Christian, it just, it's, there's some things that are just psychologically more difficult. There's questions that will never be answered about evil, about why this, why that. And I think being a Christian makes those questions harder at times. 
because uh, you, you can't just say at the end of your life, that's it. You just become ash and that's the end of existence for you. Right. Because opened up a Pandora's box to have to just keep doing life without answers to those questions. But I guess I'll leave you with this. My one of the one of my favorite things that I learned at a zoo specific that I took from my time was I my my uh, I had an astrophysics and a, and a psychology class, and my my professor said if you don't take anything from what you learn during the year that you're here, if you just remember one thing, remember this: it's okay to look up at the stars and ask all the questions that you have. But to, at the end of asking all the questions, just be blown away by the fact that you don't have answers and rest in that peace that God does. And I guess that's that's something I've taken from APU that I'll never forget. So. Amen. David, it's been awesome. And by the way, I, just, I really like your last answer because that is a very true answer. Even Jesus said himself, it's not going to be easy on earth. So, um for those thinking that it would be, they're probably misinformed. Um, if people wanted to like follow you, follow your music, maybe get in touch with you or whatever, what's the best way to do that? Uh, just if you Google my name, David Parsons, the third, I never used to go by the third, even though I am, but, uh, I was releasing music and it kept, kept getting placed underneath a guy that makes yoga music. And his agent called me, it was like, Hey, can we, can we do something with our names here so that we can, so I said, you know what, I'll just go by my, by my full name. But if you just Google David Parsons with three eyes, it'll be the first thing that comes up and shoot me. A, I try to respond to D, as many DMS as I can and uh, feel free to just email me or whatever. And if you need to pray or pick up the phone and tell me that I'm an idiot or whatever, I'm, I'm fine with all that. <laughs> it's all Are good, man. There you go. So I encourage people, go ahead, reach out to David, follow him um, as well with a lot of the stuff that the Lord's doing in his life. This has been a great interview, and I, I trust that it has been a blessing to many of you that are out there. Feel free to share it so that others can see it as well, and make sure you subscribe to the podcast so you can catch every single episode. This has been Episode 90, and we look forward to seeing you next time. God bless you all.